Welcome to another episode of Making Magic with your host, Bradley Morris from Magic Media. This is the go-to show for purpose-driven creators to get inspired with innovative new ideas to produce your educational content, build thriving online communities, and turn your message into a movement. And today we have Danny Eaney, the founder and CEO of Miracy and best-selling author of nine published books, including the one that's coming out right now at the time of recording this, Teach Your Gift. Uh, Danny, I'm so excited to talk to him today because we've been living parallel paths in the online course industry, and he has built the Course Builders Laboratory um, training program, which he's worked with so many people, like way more people than we've worked with at Magic Media. Um, He's kind of a big deal in the world of online learning. He's spoke at Google and a number of other like massive companies, Um, and I think the conversation today is two online learning nerds coming together to talk about the current state of the online course industry. Is it still worth making courses? Yes, it is. That's just a hint, but we'll get into that. And what can we do as course creators to better serve our audiences and our students to help them get the results that they're signing up for when they're joining our courses? And obviously, at the time of recording this, we're in COVID-19 lockdown. So the world is a weird place and it may not ever go back to the way we remember it, which means it's time to adapt for all you people that have been procrastinating about building your course or you've been thinking about it or you've been doing in-person services and you've never had the time to do it, but now you have time. I think this episode goes out to all of you. So Danny, come on down. Welcome to the Making Magic podcast. Thanks for being here. Bradley, it is my pleasure and my privilege. Thank you for having me. How cool. We're finally doing this. I mean, we've had some conversations. I don't know how many years now. It's like, we're finally here. Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing a a show right now. And uh, it's it's so cool. You know, like both of us are clearly geeks in the online learning space. It's what we've both been doing for a bunch of years. Um, how, How are you describing to your student base the current landscape for online courses? Um, so, so it's a really interesting question because there is the answer that I give people in terms of like, here we are in terms of this point in time. And then there's the answer that gets layered on top of it in terms of, you know, COVID-19 and what that has done to the landscape. Yeah. Um, but so if, if we look at just where we are in time, um, any, any industry, any market, any opportunity, kind of, you know, something new is possible. And it follows a very predictable path in its diffusion through the world. Um, and you know, the, the Rogers Everett did this research way back on the diffusion of innovation. So, you know, anyone who's listening to this, if you've ever heard the terms innovator, early adopter, uh, mainstream market, like that kind of stuff, or you've seen like a bell curve with those labels, that's where it comes from. And so that pattern is really consistent, right? Something new is possible. And the innovators and early adopters, these are the people who get really excited about it. They're like on the bleeding edge. They're excited about possibility. And their expectations are very different from normal people. Um, And, you know, here's a really easy hint. If you have a closet full of crap that you funded on Kickstarter, um, you're an innovator. You're an early adopter, right? And, I'm, you know, I definitely fall into that category. So... Early adopters, innovators, they they like to try things that are brand new. They're excited about possibility. Um, if you think about, for example, the smartphone market, the first smartphone 
was a brick. It was big. It was heavy. The form factor wasn't great. The battery life didn't last very long. It ran maybe four apps. And it was really expensive. And early adopters, innovators, they're happy to spend that kind of money. Fast forward to present day, and you know the form factor is great. It has shrunk down to almost nothing. The battery life is really long. It runs a bazillion apps at the same time. The prices come way down. That's what it takes for it to work with the mainstream. So, so the offer has to be just that much more mature. So the very early days of online courses, the innovator and early adopter days, like that took, you know, 10, 15 years, let's call it from 2000 to 2015. And that's when you had um, information products. I, I hate that terminology, but, you know, these info information products, products exactly, Ooh, info products, <laughs> right? And they would sell for like thousands of dollars. $2,000 was the iconic price point because marketers determined that that was kind of the threshold where any higher and you have to get people on the phone to, to sell them. Um, you're basically looking at a bunch of videos in a membership site. The quality often wasn't that good. The fulfillment experience wasn't that good. The outcomes weren't great. Um, and innovators and early adopters are okay because they're kind of buying on hope. And so that lasted for a while until things started to tip into the mainstream. And that happened about five years ago where that began to tip, like really early days. And that went on for about five years as we look at that transition. And the way that transition went is we kind of saw polarization where the online course market kind of split in two directions. Um, on the one hand, you got really cheap, real, what I would call information products. And on the other hand, you had real education experiences. So, so just to draw out the distinction, um, if you think about what an information product is, let's look at the archetypal original information product, which is a book. Right? So you go to a bookstore, you find the book that purports to have the information that you're looking for, you take it to the register, you pay for it, not a lot of money because books are not expensive, it, it's not very costly to replicate information. And once you pay that small amount of money, you have the book in your hands, you walk out of the bookstore, you're on your own. Nobody owes you anything, not the bookstore owner, not the publisher, not the author, right? You got what you paid for. Now, contrast that with the archetypal educational experience, which would be a university course. Now, universities are far from perfect. I've written entire books about my issues with higher education. Um, but by and large, there is a very big difference between a university course and a book. So you, you register for the course. You pay a lot more than you would for the book. And part of it is you know, educational inflation and market forces. But a large part of it is, look, it just costs more to deliver real education. You've got to pay the instructor. You've got to pay the TAs. There's the grounds. There's the infrastructure. There's materials. There's more that goes into that experience. And you could certainly register for a university course and then just never show up. And you know that's on you. But if you show up and you do the work, it's reasonable for you to expect that the instructor and the institution behind that instructor will do their part to help you succeed. So, so the responsibility for the student's success is a partnership between teacher and student. So in the world of online courses, as we see this split, we're, we're seeing, yeah, there's a lot of information products out there, and, and they're inexpensive like a book would be. And that's the kind of stuff you would find on Udemy and on Masterclass and on Creative Live, where you're looking at you know, 50, 100, 150 bucks, and you're looking at a bunch of videos on a membership site, and often the production value is really good and it's really interesting. Maybe you've got a celebrity instructor, and they can make it work because they have massive volume and distribution. So that part of the market is starting to get saturated. That's a hard place for a new entrant to play. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, though, on the education side where we're looking at real transformation, that's where the opportunity is wide open, especially as we enter into this phase of maturity 
in the market. Um, you know, I, I love the example of um, Aaron Sorkin. He's the guy who wrote um, The West Wing. He wrote A Few Good Men. So he's got a course on Masterclass that is all about screenwriting. And I've taken the class. I like it. I'm interested as a writer. Um, and information courses, they're good for a lot of things. They're good for integrating new knowledge into existing expertise. They're good for broadening your horizons as to what's possible. They're, they're entertaining, right? To a certain extent, it's yeah. edutainment. Yeah. But they're not good at imparting competence, right? You don't get good at things by reading a book. And in the same way, you don't get good at things by watching a video. So if I've taken that course on Masterclass, right, I might have learned a few tricks. It might have opened my eyes to a few possibilities, but I'm not a fundamentally better writer than I was when I took, before I took the course. And yeah. so now that I have taken that course and I'm thinking, okay, what next? And, and, and I am representative of a lot of people here because the marketing muscle of Coursera and Udemy and Masterclass and Creative Live and so on and so forth have kind of brought this into the mainstream. So lots of people have taken this course. And some of them say, now what? Where do I go from here? I want to actually get better at screenwriting, right? Aaron Sorkin's not available to help me do that. He's busy writing whatever his next hit TV show or movie is going to be. But if there is a qualified, skilled screenwriting instructor who says, you know, I don't have the, the credentials of Aaron Sorkin, but I'm really good at what I do, and I'm going to give you more than a bunch of videos, I'm going to give you a real impactful learning experience with guidance, with support, with feedback, that's something that there are a lot of people out there who would be happy to pay thousands of dollars for if you can really deliver an outcome. So that's kind of where we are in time. And, you know, as we were kind of entering this phase, COVID-19 hits. And it's really served as an accelerant because, you know, there, there are two reasons why people would not want to do their learning online. There are the, or I should say two groups of reasons. The first group of reasons are the legitimate reasons, meaning, you know, not everything is done as well online, you know, so some things are just better in person. Um, it's, it's, you know, harder to teach a martial arts, you know, judo flip without being in the room with someone. There, there are things that just work better in person. So those are the legit reasons. And then there are the non-legit reasons of, I don't like online. I'm not comfortable with online. I've never tried online. And because of COVID-19, the whole world has been like shoved into the deep end of the pool and they've been forced to get comfortable with it. And so even as we come out of this pandemic, you know, the legitimate reasons will still be there, but all the illegitimate reasons will have been swept away. And so the, the demand for online learning and online transformative experiences has been just dramatically accelerated. Yeah, isn't it wild? All of, I mean, I've, we've had so many members come out of the woodworks who, you know, maybe enrolled a couple years ago and they've just kind of been sitting on it doing their regular thing. And now they're like, okay, I see, I get the sign from the universe that it's time to actually do this thing. Um, and it's amazing just the, the learning curve people are now willing to go through because it's become a necessity to. Mm -hmm to continue on. So yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, you must feel just delighted at the foundation that you've laid down over the years with Miracy to be able to, to facilitate this birthing that's taking place. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm delighted. I'm thrilled. I'm honored to be at the place that I am right now because there is a huge need that we're in a position to serve. Um, you know, it's it's funny. Before this crisis hit, like or just as it was hitting, I was you know talking to a friend who's you know a business strategy expert. He was saying, you know, coming out of this crisis, 
you know, some companies will have done really well. Some companies will have done really badly. Um, and the ones who did really well, they're going to be all these case studies. Like, look how I navigated the crisis. Yeah. And it's like the reality is that a big part of this will have been like, you know, dumb luck of like right, right place, right time. So, you know, we've done a lot of things that have been very successful over the years. And, and I will take appropriate credit for my part in making those happen. Um, but right now, like the, the surge in demand we're seeing, it's just a function of right place, right time, right? Like yeah. I've been banging on this drum for a decade. Like all of a sudden the world changed and everyone's listening for the drum. Totally. Yeah, the noise is quieter. It's like, do you hear that drum? I hear mm-hmm. a drum. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Now, what I'm what I'm starting to see now um, is really terrible courses coming out because people are essentially scrambling to make a course to make some money or to get their information out or to serve their clients and that. So, let's. Uh, I know you've got your philosophies, and we have some at Magic Media as well that'll probably be complementary to each other. What uh, what are some of the, the qualities that you look for that help to create a truly great online course or online learning experience? Uh, I love that question. So here's how I think about the learning journey in general. Um, there, there are three steps along that journey. The first step is consumption, right? That's where I watch the video, I listen to the audio, I read the text, I, I sit through the lecture, right? I'm exposed to new ideas. Um. And you want to make that consumption smooth and easy and clear and well done. That's really important, right? There's a lot of just really bad content being published because people are rushed and they're not giving um, a- appropriate respect to the medium they're, they're going to operate in. Yeah. But consumption is just that first piece. Um, and that's really the information part of it. The reality is that most of deep learning, most impactful learning happens later in the process. The second and third steps are application and integration. Right After I've consumed the idea, I need to go and apply it myself. And that can be um, theoretical application, you know, worksheets and assignments and that kind of stuff. It can be practical application. You know, I'm going out and I'm doing things in the world. And then I need feedback as to, am I doing it right? Do I need to adapt? Do I need to iterate? That's the integration piece. That's where the learning gets really um, baked in in a meaningful way. And that feedback can be just a pure consequence of, um, you know, the, the reaction of the world to what I'm doing. So, you know, I, I take a skateboarding class and I go and I apply what I learn and then the feedback comes from gravity and concrete. Or it can be more nuanced coming from a coach, coming from a peer feedback setup. Yeah. But most of the learning happens in those stages of application and integration. And um, in my experience, most courses that people set out to put online they leave out those pieces altogether. They focus on, let's put some great video together, great or not so great videos, depending, but let's put some video content together and maybe we we make an effort to make them interesting and engaging. Maybe we don't, or we don't think that it's necessary, but they don't think beyond that. And, you know, when you're, if it's a, if it's a cheap and expensive course, it's 50 bucks on Udemy, like that's fine. All you need is the video content. But if you're looking to charge a premium, then you need to create an experience that justifies a premium. And in order to do that, you need to start with, you know, to quote Stephen Covey, you start with the end in mind, what instructional designers call backward integrated design. So you start by asking yourself, when people are through this learning experience, what do I want them to remember? What do I want them to be able to do? What do I want them to feel? What do I want them to know? And there's a second layer to that question that people forget, which is it's not just about what do I want them to know, it's about how well do I want them to know it? 
right? Because if I want to teach you about Hamlet, what will it take for me to do that? Well, it depends. How well do I want you to know it? If I want you to know the gist of the story, I could do that in a 5, 10, 20, 30-minute video. If I want you to be able to recite it, that's a lot more work. If I want you to be able to perform it, that's even more work, right? Yeah. So, so we need to think about what do I want that outcome to be and then design based on that. I love the three points, consumption, application, and integration. And they're, they're definitely parallel with the, the three ways we teach it, which is curriculum, experience, and community. So the curriculum is the content, the information. So you have to nail that down. And then the experience is adding the theme. It's creating the engaging video experience for people. It's gamifying it so that they want to take the action necessary to get the result. And then the community offers the accountability, the coaching, um, and the th- the experience that we get when we go to university or we go to a college that we actually have people there holding us accountable to keep our butts in the seats so that we do the tests and get the results that we signed up for. So, so definitely like very parallel. And I think for anybody out there, like if you're listening to this, apply these apply these pieces, and you're going to be way ahead of the game. And what's interesting right now. Um, is more than ever, there's an opportunity for people to come out of nowhere and become go-to experts in their niche or their field because there's a lot of mediocre courses in each industry that we could look at. And the ones that are going to show up as great courses can instantly rise to the top and be more noticeable and, and more trustworthy. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I agree completely. Like, there's a so, so I think a big part of the challenge is that, um, you know, as courses become a more mainstream thing, this is definitely a trend that I've been seeing. You know, when I think about, you know, a lot of the people who would come to me five years, seven years ago, 10 years ago and say, I want to build an online course, right? You know, I'm painting with a broad brush. There, there are exceptions, but there were a lot of people who would come and it, it was like a business opportunity. It was like, I heard I can make easy money online selling an online course. Yeah. Whereas now that it's become more mainstream, I get a lot more of, hey, I'm a recognized, qualified expert in my field. I'm thinking about taking what I do online. And, and that's great. Those are the people that should be building online courses, but they miss a step because they're used to delivering their their knowledge, their experience, their expertise, their curriculum in person. And so they expect it to be a one-to-one translation. They're like, how do I just take what I do in the classroom or on stage and put it online? And that doesn't create a good learning experience because if you've gotten very good at, let, let's say you're a speaker, right? You, you're, you've, you've trained, you've practiced, you've studied, you've iterated for 20 years to deliver an amazing keynote, right? That keynote is optimized for an environment where you're in the room on stage, right? You're moving around, there's your body language, there's the way you're emoting with the audience, there's the jokes and are they landing? Like there's all of that. Yeah. And a lot of that's not going to work online. Right? So you're going to take this experience that's optimized for an in-person learning dynamic, bring it online, lose everything that made it effective along the way. What you need to do is add a step where um, you, you basically look at you know, the narrative you've crafted, the process you deliver, and ask yourself, this thing I would do in the room, why am I doing it? What am I trying to accomplish? And then not try to replicate the thing you're doing in the room. Try to find what is the best way online to achieve the same outcome you're looking to achieve. Yeah. Um, so we we just had like a, an immersion like an immersion kind of experience in figuring this out because we do a three day training event in person that because of the lockdown we had like three weeks to take it virtual. <laughs> so I had to go through my whole curriculum and kind of say, 
you know, okay, so at this stage in the process, I'll say, you know, okay, talk to your neighbor, discuss this with your neighbor, the person sitting next to you. And I do a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and you can't do that effectively online. It just, it doesn't work in the same way. So you're going to ask yourself, well, why am I doing discuss with your neighbor? Right. Sometimes it's because I want a state change just to, so you don't lose people's attention. Yeah. Sometimes you do it because I want them to think more deeply, reflect on what they're learning. Sometimes you do it because I want them to feel connected, not alone in the learning. And so whatever it is you're trying to do, there are different ways that you could accomplish that in an online learning experience. I actually think the the flood of everyone rushing in is a, a much needed little nudge or push, depending on your perspective, to the industry that that in some ways has been pretty lazy about the design of online learning. Um, be, because innovators and early adopters, which we're, we're just starting to move past, they're a pretty forgiving market, right? Yeah. You know, your, your device can be buggy and they're, they're, they're okay with it because like, all right, but I get what it's supposed to do and I'll cut some slack. Mainstream buyers, customers, students, they, they just, they're not forgiving in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so true. I think people are, I mean, people don't want to watch a poorly produced or poor audio or anything like that. And, and we're becoming more and more picky because there are creators that are doing a better and better job at facilitating the learning experience. Mm -hmm. So on the, uh, on the passive income thing, I mean, most people aside from the ones that you named who are already educators trying to bridge to the online space, a lot of people want to create more freedom. They want to create, um, a greater impact, but passive income's a big thing. Do you still believe in the passive income fairy coming around and sprinkling passive income fairy dust all over people's courses? Is that still a thing that can happen? Um, or do you feel like the time of passive income has come and gone? Um, so, so it's it's a tricky question. So let's, let's unpack. I mean, the short answer is usually no, <laughs> but but there's a longer answer that has more nuance that I think is worthwhile. So, yeah. you know, let's unpack what do we need? What are the ingredients of passive income, right? Fundamentally, for you to, to have passive income, you need two things. You need a low-priced offer, right? And it has to be low-priced because if it's not low-priced, it won't be passive to sell it, and it won't be, low, it won't be passive to deliver it, right? Yeah. So, you know, information can be a passive sale and a passive fulfillment, right? You, you see a, a sales page online. It's interesting. It's like a, a, you know, like a chocolate bar at the register. You're like, all right, I want this. It's not a lot of money. I'll get it. I get my ebook. I'm done. Like that it, process can be passive. So you can't, it's very hard to have a passive experience with something expensive. So it's got to be inexpensive. Yep. And you've also got to sell a lot of volume because if we're selling something inexpensive, then unless you have a lot of volume, it just doesn't add up to a lot of money. So there's a challenge in making that happen, which is that you have to engineer the sale somehow. You have to get the customer somehow. And a really back of the napkin rule of thumb is that you can allocate about a third of what you're charging as a retail price to acquire the customer, right? So you know, if you're selling a $1,000 course, back of the napkin, you can spend $333 and change to do whatever your marketing and sales processes are. So that could be running ads, that could be um, you know, going to a networking event because it's the equivalent value of your time. It could be doing webinars, whatever it is, you can allocate $300 and change to attracting and converting the lead. And when you have a few hundred dollars to play with, you can do interesting things. It's not passive, but it can be scalable and it can be viable. If you don't have a lot of money, if you're selling something for a hundred bucks, so you can allocate, you know, a third of that, thirty bucks to to acquiring the customer, there's just not much you can do with that. 
And it's very hard to make that math work. And so does passive income still exist as a possibility? Yes, if you have an unfair advantage in terms of having a ton of really cheap leads. So in other words, if you have a mailing list of 100,000 people already, you can create passive income because you already have the leads. If you own the top of the Google search results, same thing. If you have the, if, if you're a celebrity and so lots of people are searching your name and you get on a site like Masterclass and you're on the homepage and so they're doing the marketing for you, same thing. So there are cases where passive income is possible, but you kind of need like, uh, you know, an unfair advantage in terms of cheap traffic. It's not feasible for most people, but there is a great opportunity for most people to who have real legitimate expertise in their field to create a course that is not cheap and therefore not passive. But you know the, the goal should not be to stop trading time for money, which I think is a fantasy in most cases. It should be to trade less time for more money. And that's very realistic for most people. Yeah, totally. And on the, uh, the passive income side of things, one of the ways that has worked best for me over the years is actually creating licensing partnerships. So mm-hmm. before Magic Media, I taught hundreds of meditation workshops and put my meditation work online. And over the years, I've developed relationships with different apps and companies who will pay a substantial amount of money to license what I've created in the past. And, um, you know, one of my contracts last year was a $70,000 contract. And I worked maybe an hour for that money because it was stuff that I, that I did in the past. And that hour was basically to negotiate and write up a contract. So it's, uh, licensing is a really interesting an amazing way that a lot of people don't think about that you can ride on the back of some larger apps and organizations and simply show up and become an instructor within what they created. And that's where the need to do something uh, to build your courses so that they're, they're really well done so that they would be attracted to licensing what you've created for their own library or for their own brand. There's definitely interesting yeah. opportunities. Yeah, and and there's a ton of cool stuff you can do if you're willing to put in the elbow grease to get there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's also, I think, an important distinction in that, you know, so so I had uh, this really interesting kind of pivotal self-reflective moment for myself. This is maybe like five years ago. It was around the holiday break of like Christmas, New Year. And so, you know, you take some time off and you're kind of reflecting on the year and what do you want for next year? And I realized this was you know, something like five years ago. We'd gotten to a stage in the business where I could have said, you know what, I think I'm just going to take off most of the year. I'm only going to work three or four months. And we could have brought in you know, a million, million and a half dollars very comfortably. Now, I didn't do that. I decided not to do that because you know I was in my early 30s and it's like you know what I'm, I'm going to retire. Like what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, I'm 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 not done creating and I'm not done building. And so I've actually worked pretty hard since then because I wasn't satisfied with where we were. There was more impact, more reach, more more creation that I wanted to do. And I think that's an important distinction for people to make. It's a lot more work to build something, to grow something than it is to hold it steady. So you can work hard to build something and then say, you know, this is as big as I want it. I'm just going to kind of, you know, ease off the gas a little bit and it can become passive. But like sometimes I, I like to say that, you know, look, building a course business is passive the way building a restaurant is passive, right? You can get to a place where, you know, yeah, you have a team and everyone's working and there's a manager. You can get to that point, but it's not passive to get to that point. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, even uh, I, we get a lot of people coming to us because we become really specialized with Mighty Networks and people come and they're like, hey, let's I'd like to build a membership site. And it's because I'd like some, you know, monthly passive income. And it's like building a membership site is the opposite of passive income because you're growing a community which requires a community leader and you have to be in there creating value every single month. So people want to keep that membership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely like, it, there's a very specific, as you said, like you gave some really great points on on different ways to do passive income. So for everybody out there with the 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 dream of passive income, just take that take that in. <laughs> Be strategic with that one. And, um, and honestly, though, I, I don't see the appeal of passive income. Yeah. Right. In in the same way that I don't see the appeal of the idea of retirement. Right. The idea of like, I want to get to a place where I can not work, not build, not create. Like, I get that if you hate what you're doing. But building yeah. a course business gives you the opportunity to engineer your life in a way that you don't hate what you're doing. Right. You can choose to serve the people that you really want to serve, working on things that you're interested in, subject matter that you find fascinating, making a real impact, designing your life. Like, that's, that's a huge part of the advantage. Of, of working in this way. It's, it's not passive, it's work. But, you know, you get to work with people that you like, you get to make the kind of money that you want to make if you're doing a good job of it. You get to dictate your own um, focus and, and you have freedom, right? I, I, I like to say that, you know, you can have the freedom to travel, present health crisis notwithstanding, yeah. or you can have the freedom not to travel. A lot of the people who come to me, like, you know, there's kind of a split. Some people come to me and they say, you know, I really want to have the money to travel the world and to take my dream vacations. And great, we can do that. Other people come to me and they're like, you know, I'm doing really well in my business, but I'm on an airplane every freaking week and I want to just be home with my kids. And yeah. and that's totally feasible too. Like for me, you know, I, I travel, again, present situation notwithstanding, I travel a fair amount because there are good reasons for me to do so, but I have hard lines in terms of what I won't do, right? And and in my day-to-day when I'm home, you know, I'm done work at 4 p.m. Um, I, we're recording this as we speak. It's, you know, we're recording this earlier than we otherwise would have because I'm done work at 4 p.m. After that, I'm with my kids. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what business is, you know, being missed. My kids come first. And, and I've been able to design a business and a life where that is supported. Yep. Same. It's uh it's a beautiful thing and that is definitely one of the the greatest perks of doing this type of work online. Um I'm curious what what you're seeing um where you see with covid happening right now and the the potential changes that are coming to the world in the months and years ahead. Where do you see some of the greatest opportunities right now for in the online learning space? Um yeah, so it's it's a really good question. Um and I, I don't think COVID has changed things so much in, in this industry, at least so much as it has accelerated things that were already happening mm-hmm. um, by kind of forcing people to try things that they might've otherwise taken years to get around to. It's like suddenly everyone's in the deep end of the pool. Um, I mean, we're seeing it kind of across the board, you know, in, in the, in the grand scheme of things, you can divide, um, you know, all, all learning that people want to do into two categories, right? There's the learning that is mandatory slash necessary. So it could be that they have to do it because of like, you know, uh, government compliance type reasons, or it could be that they have to do it because if you don't learn something that you absolutely need a certain outcome, then you're screwed. So you've got to learn it. Yeah. So the mandatory learning 
is not going to go away because people need it. And then there's the um, more volitional learning, the stuff that we do because we're interested, because we want to. And the fact that people might be spending a lot less time um, traveling, a lot less time in commutes, people might suddenly find that they have just more time on their hands. There might be a lot of reassessment of priorities, even beyond the immediate lockdown timeline. Like, you know, the, the sales on, you know, hobby type courses, I want to learn the guitar, I want to get in shape, like those have all been going through the roof. Um, but even beyond that, I think people are going to have more time to invest in themselves. So I think across the board, this landscape is going to do very, very well. Yeah. And I think that's the lens to look at it, right? Like a lot of people have been like, you know, oh my God, COVID shut down. I've got to like hustle and create a COVID course. And I think that's really silly because you're going to spend 90 days working really hard to build something. It's going to be obsolete in 90 days. So it doesn't make any sense. I think you should double down on your expertise and think about how will it be needed past this point in time. And we do want to think about what the world is going to look like after the fact. There's an anecdote that I really like out of Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game. He talks about um, the company Victorinox, right? the original Swiss Army Knife company, and how they thought about their strategy after 9-11. So 9-11 happened. And like the first response was nobody's allowed to take Swiss Army knives on airplanes anymore. So this was like murder for Victorinox's business. Their business came down to the floor. And it would have been very easy for them to say, well, this can't last. Let's just wait for this to blow over. I mean, this is a 130-something-year-old company. Like they have, you know, more than a century of inertia. And if they had done that, you know, of course we know that, you know, looking, you know, quite a long time later, you still can't take a Swiss Army knife on an airplane. Like Air travel post 9-11 has never gone back to the way it was, and it probably never will, right? Big things change the world. But thankfully, Victorinox, for them, they, they didn't say, let's you know, just wait for things to get back to normal. They thought about, well, what can we, how can we adapt? And they expanded into cooking knives, kitchen knives. They expanded into luggage. They expanded into watches. They expanded into fragrances. So you too can smell like the Swiss Army if you so choose, right? And and they've done very, very well. They've grown because they recognize that the world is not going to go back to what it was before. We will get to a new normal, but the new normal won't be the same as the old normal. So what I would encourage people to do is not think about, you know, I've got to rush to create a COVID course or something like that. I would think about how is my expertise likely to be relevant in the world that we are moving into? and build around that. That's beautiful. And so you have a book, new book coming out, number nine, end of a cycle, beginning of a new coming up. So why don't we talk about your book, Teach Your Gift? Yeah, I'd what? love to. And thank you. Thank you for prompting me. Yeah, well, I would, uh, I'm, I'm excited to read it. We are moving into our new home tomorrow. And so once we get all of that set up, I'll have some time to kick my feet up and read a book for a change. So um, tell us about the premise of Teacher Gift. Sure. So, so the subtitle is How Coaches, Consultants, Authors, Speakers, and Experts Create Online Course Business Success in 2020 and Beyond. And it, it's exactly that. You know, I've been um, working in the space of online courses for close to a decade now. And you know, as we talked about earlier, the, land, the landscape has shifted a lot. And the impetus for me to write this book is, you know, I've, I've written a couple of books about online courses already. I thought I was done. Um, and I don't like writing about the same topic over and over. So I thought, like, you know, if, if someone needs to learn about online courses, you know, I, I've written books about this. But I found myself more and more having conversations with really high caliber people 
um, you know, the kind of people that you would meet at a TED conference or at a Thinkers 50 conference, like people of, of that caliber. And I'd meet them and we'd talk and they'd say, you know, I'm thinking about creating an online course. And I'd say, great, tell me more. Like, what are you thinking? And they'd lay out their plan. And I'm like thinking to myself, this plan is like, it's based on a playbook that's like five years out of date. And it's because the world really has changed. So I was like, you know what? I think I need to write a book that is basically saying everything that I would want to say to this person, except, you know, I, I can't talk their ear off for like six hours over dinner. So it's like, here's what the landscape actually looks like today. Here's what the opportunity actually looks like for experts and professionals to create online courses. Here are the markets where there is an opportunity. Here's how you go about marketing your course in a way that works today. So it's, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, someone on my team said, Danny, this is like a TLDR of what you've been saying for five years. And from an operational standpoint, it's like, here's what the landscape looks like today. Because there's just so much out there that is just very out of date and not reflective of the current reality. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure that feels really good to get that book off your chest now, huh? It, it really does. You know, I I started the project kind of feeling like, you know, ugh, another book, like, like kind of dreading it. But I, as I was writing, I was like, it, it became really clear how much had changed and how much new stuff there was to talk about and it, it started getting really exhilarating. Oh, that's um, lovely. And the reception has been great. So that's that's also very encouraging. That's really exciting. And the book, where can people buy a copy of your book? Um, well, you know, Amazon. Um, I, I heard someone, I don't know where I got this joke, but I, I, I love it. Like, you know, the, the best way to buy books is in bulk. So if you want to go to Amazon, order lots of copies, by all means. Um, but we're also doing some fun stuff around the launch of the book. And so depending on when you're listening to this, we might have other, you know, bonus or special content available. So the best place would be to go to teachyourgiftbook.com. And um, at worst, there'll be some information there and it'll point you to Amazon. And at best, there'll be some other cool stuff that you can that you can pick up as well on the topic. Well, our intention is to keep this as relevant as possible. So we'll be getting this out to the internet in alignment with you sharing your book with the world. So hopefully people are listening to this in the present moment and all of the goodies are still there. Awesome. Well, I wish you the best with that. And I, I really appreciate who you are in the online learning space. I, I've, you know, grown frustrated over the years with um, the amount of garbage that gets sold at a premium price. And I always appreciate the integrity you have to do really great work. And so um, it's it's just, it's wonderful to see others out there that are really committed to doing the best damn job you can. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And, and the feeling is mutual. You know, it's, this is a necessary, I guess, byproduct of the fact that it has gone more mainstream. Like, you know, as more and more people are interested in online courses, more and more people smell opportunity. And it, we really have gotten to a place where it's hard to open a browser window without bumping into someone who's saying, you know, I've made $5 online once. Let me teach you how to create an online course. And often there isn't that depth of experience or expertise. So, you know, yeah. I, I always feel uh, a really good feeling when I encounter and get to interact with someone who actually cares about the space, actually cares about engineering transformation. And, uh, you know, you're, you're one of the good guys. So thank you for that. Thank you. Likewise, my friend. Well, best of luck with the book launch and everything else coming down your pipeline this year. And uh, hopefully, you know, by summertime or sooner, be able to enjoy the great outdoors and lots of adventure again. 
we will look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Um, My Bradley, pleasure. I'm, I'm grateful. We'll do this again. I will look forward to it. Take care, Danny. Thanks for tuning in to today's Making Magic podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review. And if you didn't, remember, treat each other how you want to be treated. I invite you to come check out our Magic Media membership at magicmedia.com. That's M-A-J-I-K media.com. Our affordable, all-inclusive membership offers everything a purpose-driven creator could need to produce your educational content, engaging courses, and thriving online communities. The membership includes all of our premium courses, bi-monthly mastermind group coaching, and an inspiring, supportive community of fun-loving, dedicated entrepreneurs and creators to make magic on the internet with. See you there, and tune in next time.